I'm Chi, and we have rebranded to the Gamers United podcast. We are here today with Cthulhu and Cat Neutrality. I can't talk today because my throat hurts. I'm going to like just leave it all on Brad. Brad can introduce everybody and all of that. So hi, Brad. How are you? All right. No, I'm doing well. Thank you, Chi. So uh, yeah, we've got a great episode for you today. Uh, today is uh, the first part in our uh, 90s uh, nostalgia series. So we're going to be doing kind of an overview of kind of the 90s gaming today um, from the early 90s to the late 90s, your Sega Nintendo Wars, all, all the good stuff to the rise of RPGs. And we're going to kick that right off. Um, we have two new hosts um, that are joining us this week, um, which is uh, Kayla, also known as uh, Kayla Mariah on Twitter. And we also have uh, Matthew Dayton with us as well today, who was on our uh, PS5 hype episode um, just a few weeks ago. And Kayla so, uh, was also on our Final Fantasy VIII episode. Yeah, like right, the very Kayla. first episode. She was awesome. Yeah. So we decided we wanted to keep them on permanently. For... And uh, they both offer a, a wide range of diversifying personalities and opinions, and we think it'll elevate this podcast to another level. So Kayla, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself a little bit first, and then we'll uh, pass it off to Matthew. Okay, um, my name is Kayla, and I'm an artist on Twitter, so I draw a lot of, like, gaming and uh, anime fan art. Um, I've got a 13-year-old, and I'm married, and I have a crap ton of cats because I foster them. Um, and that's basically really all. I love video games. Final Fantasy VIII's my favorite, and um, I'm excited to talk about the 90s. Uh, she is on Twitter as at Kayla Mariah. For those oh my who bad, yeah. No, 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 it's okay. I'm just like I'm um, so I actually have to. It's at Kayla Mariah, uh, K A Y L A M A R I A H. That's my main account, and then my art account is Kayla Kind of Draws. Don't worry, that's spelled as Kayla Kind of Draws for those of you that don't know how to yes, spell. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's all one word. All right, so uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead and uh, yeah, introduce yourself again and just tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Cool. Uh, my name is Matt. I am a gamer, obviously. I am an artist, uh, an entrepreneur, and I like to make video games and talk about video games. Um, I'm obsessed with Lara Croft. I draw her more than anything on this planet. Uh, I also draw like Kayla. I just post my art all over my single twitter which is at matthew dayton and matthew is spelled m-a-t-t-h-w just because i didn't put an e for some reason for those of you who don't know matt doesn't know how to spell his own name i don't <laughs> i thought it was matthew this whole time and i'm very disappointed get that legally changed someday all right so we got two guests with us today uh first we have uh, uh katie reed and uh why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce oh. yourself katie tell us a little bit about yourself hello um my name is Katie. Uh, I go by, I'm at Cat Neutrality on Twitter. Um, I am a graphic designer who mainly talks about trying to get a job on Twitter and <laughs> how <laughs> much of a pain in the butt that is. Um, I have three kids. Uh, I just blanked on their ages 12, 10, and four, all redheaded. Oh. Um, it's so fun in our house. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and, yeah, uh, I've been playing video games for as long as I can remember. I started out on the Atari 2600 and mm -hmm. 
I have done, I basically have too many video games at my house. You never have too many video no games. Such thing. No such thing. Did you see, did you see me post Brad's setup yesterday? Like, I don't know. I, I literally, he literally has like a ton of pop figures and then a ton of video games. It's just all out there. There's there's hundreds of everything. Let's just be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's but... just a big mess. So there's no such thing. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> have you, I, 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 have I, you guys I, seen his best part of his collection though? What? What, what is it's that? It's a Tomb Raider drawing. Oh, oh yeah, of course. Pretty of course, awesome. Yeah. It is a pretty great Tomb Raider drawing. I, I can't wait great. to get that framed. I got to find the right color. <laughs> I'm still looking for the right colored frame. I got to do some more research into that. I can't I, wait to get that hung up though. But uh, then today, my dear significant other, uh, Cthulhu, as known as Grago Vision on Twitter, is also here with us. Why don't you talk about yourself, Bill? Yeah. So <clears throat> I'm Bill. She found me out front and asked if I liked Nintendo, and I told her I really liked Mario Cantone from Sex in the City, so she said that was good enough um, <laughs> so I could be on the podcast today. Uh, I should post on Twitter. I play the video games. I drink the beer. Um, yeah, that's about it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, um, Clan Belmont. Oh, my God. All right. All right. Well, it's, it's um, like I said, it's a pleasure to be here with all of you today for we're all really excited to uh, dive into this 90s stuff. So let's go ahead and jump right in. So <clears throat> we're going to go ahead and start with uh, an, an early overview of the early 90s here. So we're going to start with uh, 16-bit gaming. So as we know, in the 80s, 8-bit uh, gaming started with uh, the NES. Um, so we had Super Mario Bros., Legend of Zelda, all these great franchises kicked off. So and real then, uh, quick, for everyone out there, what is the actual, what would you define as a 16-bit game? Versus like an eight bit or a thirty two bit. What is sixteen bit specifically? It's it's the hardware. Okay, mm -hmm. but like, oh, okay. it's simply the processing speed and capability. Okay, that's really all it is. Um, you could just see an increase in pixel count on the screen, basically, and speed of processing. And so, like the colors and stuff like that. Too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes. For instance, the N sixty four is literally just called N sixty four because the console is sixty four bits. Right. Whoa. It's it's a lot that's, of buzzwords. That, that, that's yeah. really it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. That's oh, it. my God. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> that's why I kind of stopped after the Nintendo 64, because it's like, we just, we can't do this anymore. Right. <laughs> yep. Nintendo 10,000 bits! Yes. Or one gig. I don't know. Whatever sounds <laughs> cooler. 738 megahertz. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we had the rise of... All right, so yeah, we had the rise of 16-bit gaming. So yes, we saw more detailed sprites and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, worlds were a lot more detailed. Uh, games like, you know, uh, Super Mario World, you saw, you know, more colors in the trees, environments. You mm -hmm. saw more dirt, grass, stuff like that. Final Fantasy games became more detailed with their overworlds. And, and their music. And uh, the Legend of Zelda in the past, which I would consider one of the most beautiful 16-bit games ever made, was really, mm -hmm. uh, really striking. Truly, um, truly. had a lot of, uh, yeah, just a lot of 2D uh, details to it that you just, at the time, was just, you know, mind-blowing. Link's so, bouncing hat. Yes, yes, Link's bouncing hat. And <laughs> animations were up there, so you got to see a lot. And, uh, you know, music was able to... Uh, tone up to 16-bit tones instead of 8-bit tones so um yeah yes. let's talk about that what, it, what what kind of impact do you think uh, at the time for those that were there um what was that impact like seeing the transition from 8-bit to 16-bit well uh one of the things i always thought was funny is for some reason when super mario world came out they're like wow we have all this extra technology what are we going to do for the detailing and everybody's like we should draw faces on fucking everything the mountains the trees the clouds <laughs> so but yes yeah. and you get a face 
the the yeah. the detailing alone right off the bat um uh it it enabled um uh reading from the cartridge uh for additional data so if they wanted they could pump extra extra processing power right into the cartridge uh which is something they could never do before whatever the system could run could run but now they had the ability to take the 16 bits and have them uphold an, an additional threshold from the um the cartridge so maybe not so much in the, the early but the later as stuff like star fox and super mario rpg donkey kong all got bumped in power because the cartridge could readily read memory right from there as like a backup so it makes a huge difference uh, right off the bat they can start to pump additional uh, resources into the console right from uh something out of a package mm -hmm. and so I that's how we like, get 3d and stuff it it was also just the animations of it was were just so much smoother and more mm -hmm. almost, almost cartoon like and you kind of got more into it i think you you it took you more into the world of what yeah. the game wanted you to be in yes definitely um i definitely remember <clears throat> the year that i got a sega genesis um which was technically the first 16-bit console um right didn't it come out just before the super nintendo yeah. Um, I remember my we plugged it in, and when Sonic did that first loop around, you know, one of the one of the millions of loops in the levels, <laughs> it was just like completely mind blowing. And it's so silly to go back and look at that and say, I remember my dad going, "Whoa, how did they do that?" Because characters had never gone upside down. As silly as that sounds, so. Yeah, and they had. There had been games where characters had gone upside down, but to see it moving that quickly on a screen with such lush worlds, you know, lush for then, lush for the time, um, with all the flowers dancing around and everything in the background, there's like... Like there's you know, a lot going on. Faux specular shine from the sun. Yes, exactly. So it was really a huge monumental shift uh, in what our understanding of what graphics capabilities could be, despite the fact that we'd already seen these types of things in arcades. Um, to see it on your home, in, on your TV, was really mind-blowing. Awesome. Yes. So, and, a game... Oh sorry. oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kayla. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, I was just going to say, a game that actually um, kind of showed the difference between the two that I really liked um, when I was younger was Pitfall on mm -hmm. the Sega. Because there's a uh, secret level that you can play where you can play, like, the original Pitfall, like, a level from the um, Atari. And I started playing on, um, like, the 16-bit, like, era and stuff is what I started on. So mm -hmm. I remember playing Pitfall and getting to that secret level and just being like, this is insane how, like, you can just really feel the difference and see the difference and how far video games have come. Definitely. And that wasn't, like, a huge, a huge amount of time in between, like, the original Pitfall and... Yeah, there really it, wasn't. It was Pitfall Mine Adventure, right? Is yeah. that what you're talking about? Okay, yeah. yes, I, I love that game. So the I original too, Pitfall was actually on Atari. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The original. Yeah, original this was a remake. remake. This was yes, a remake. This was the new yeah, one. This yes. is like Pitfall, whatever his name is, son. And I think. Yeah, it's his. Yeah, that's son. right. That's right. It's his son. It's been and so it's long. Pitfalliana Jones, right? Basically, yes. Basically, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so like it probably helped pave the way for like Tomb Raider. Hey, don't say it. Don't say it. Oh, <laughs> I said I said pave the way. <laughs> I know. No, it's true. No, Pitfall, I think, was kind of, I think it was one of the original platformers, and I think it did kind of pave the way for the modern platformer and eventually modern events. It laid down the dirt path through the forest, which Lara Croft carefully <laughs> placed bricks along yes. for the rest of the world, too. Yes, and yes. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. No, no, everybody respects the Tomb Raider opinion. So, I know, with, um, I know. With the, rise of, with the rise of 16-bit gaming, though, we got... um. <clears throat> we got into the rise of RPGs. Um, mm -hmm. We know that Final Fantasy was born. Now, that was the original NES, but that was 1990. We had uh, mm -hmm. Final Fantasy jump into the fray. That was 8-bit, um, mm -hmm. later 8-bit era. But then Final Fantasies 2 through 6 made it on the Super Nintendo. Um, right. And we also had Chrono Trigger as well. And we got these detailed 16-bit worlds. And Final Fantasy kind of brought the idea is you, you had your turn... In addition to your turn-based battles, you had this overworld and these little yeah. detailed sixteen-bit eras. And the music, <laughs> yes, and the music, yes. Yeah. So they did that. So let's uh, let's dive into a little bit of that. So, um, so with the rise of RPGs, what do you think? Um, do you think Final Fantasy was the one that started the rise, or do you think there's another franchise we don't know about? And what do you what do we think we're going into that? What, I, what do you think? Did? I do think Final Fantasy started it, and here's it, so. But I, yeah, it depends that's upon the country. It depends, it depends upon the country. Well, and your access. Yeah. I know, like, a lot of my friends played games like um, Earthbound and oh, Dragon no. Warrior and that's old school Final Fantasy on the original Nintendo. And those were, although not as story heavy, obviously we got like one and then two and then six or something like that. Um, but the, the stories drew me in in the 8 bit era. But I would definitely say in the 16-bit era, with the capability to perhaps go much deeper with your narrative, um, it really it really drove RPGs. I don't know if I would say, even though Final Fantasy is definitely my favorite RPG, I, yeah, I guess I, that may be the one you, that, that pushed it mainstream. After you brought up Earthbound, Earthbound was also very big in the early 90s as yeah. well. And it oh, yeah. actually defined yes. a lot of RPGs today, like modern RPGs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Earthbound was completely different in terms of uh, yeah, it was like two it different had a lot of things. for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it it had a lot of features that you just don't you didn't see a lot. I mean, the closest thing we've ever had to Earthbound since Earthbound is, is Undertale, Undertale. Yeah. which is like my almost all my favorite game. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why I, that's why <laughs> I'm like so conflicted because he brought up Earthbound. I'm like shoot, like I yeah, yeah. Was, Earthbound yeah. was deep. <laughs> Earthbound uh, Undertale started as an Earthbound mod. So oh, that's one oh, of the main I reasons. Know that. San, there's, there's a running thing that if you look at it, Sans was probably <laughs> Sans was probably uh, Ness's skeleton Ness's, for the Halloween yep. mod. Hmm. <laughs> no, I swear to God, there's there's early mods that that Toby Fox had made for Earthbound with broken up like not so ready versions of uh, Megalovania on it. It's 100% an Earthbound oh. mod trying to do its own game. That's Did not know. But like I'm back to all that like. The Final Fantasy games, oh, and then not even Final Fantasy. I think Chrono Trigger, Chrono Trigger to me defined RPGs more than the like original Final Fantasy or Final Fantasy Two, because Chrono Trigger had a big story and it was open world. It was an open world game. Like I was kind of linear here and there, but to me it was open world because you can beat the sure. game at any yeah. time. Well, with Final Fantasy Two, it didn't really get popular until Seven. Like yeah, there was a bunch of people playing it. But mm -hmm. it didn't get that like 
and mainstream. That's what I was. It was yeah. huge among RPG enthusiasts, but that's, it became mainstream with seven. That's what I yeah. wanted to bring up when I mentioned countries. So RPGs in Japan, Final Fantasy did pretty good here and yeah. in Japan, but Dragon Warrior, which was Dragon Quest, and right. Chrono Trigger has yeah. in Japan. For the reason is, is Dragon Ball Z was incredibly popular in the 80s when it mm-hmm. first came out, right? So what they did in the 90s to try and make RPGs more approachable is Dragon Quest and Chrono Trigger were partnered with Akira Toriyama to do the art yeah. to help yep. thrust the popularity of Dragon Ball Z into mm-hmm. video games over yeah. there and helped with the implementation and localization yes, outside of Japan. So we can thank Dragon Ball Z for Akira Toriyama right? is God. End of story. <laughs> Good you know, night, now that you mention that, I see the similar art styles too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I can it's 100% show you pictures of Dragon Quest yeah. characters even today that just look like Goku. Yeah, they do. It's, it's they the, do. Yeah. It's Most of his characters pretty art. much look like Goku. It's true though. I remember yeah. when I first saw like the, the art for Chrono Trigger too. and like uh, and the Dragon Quest games, I was like, Did Akira art? Did Akira? Yeah, I literally was like, wait. I looked it yeah. up immediately. I was like, that's got to be Akira Toriyama, right? There's no way it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Even today. Um, I will say that although I did love Chrono Trigger and uh, and Earthbound, that Final Fantasy was definitely the RPG that made me realize that RPGs are the way to go for stories yeah. and character development. Absolutely. See, I I didn't have a Super Nintendo until much later. Yeah, so me Selection of RPGs was a little. It was smaller. Well, but... Genesis. Sorry. Go ahead. Continue. Oh. Oh, you're fine. Um. Yeah, the one that sticks out to me the most is Shining Force mm-hmm. for the uh, for the uh, Genesis because yep. it was just I feel like that story was huge. Like I feel mm-hmm. like I don't even remember, which I don't remember a lot of things. Sega had a pretty strong showing when it came to RPGs and Japanese styled games in the nineties. Do, do you know what was Sega's biggest problem with RPGs in in the nineties? They were super unapproachable, as good as they are, as somebody yeah. like oh, yeah. just seasoned. Yeah. Those Shining Forest, um, what is it? Ta- uh, um, what's the other one? Panzer that, that, Dragoon. Panzer Dragoon. What's the really popular yeah. one? Um, the tra- Fantasy Star. Oh my god. Yeah, Fantasy, Fantasy Star. Star. I feel like I go back and play Fantasy Star. I've beaten a million RPGs. That game is hard as hell. Yeah, for sure. It they was far more. They were more Japanese in their that. approach. Like, Final Fantasy was yeah. definitely an Americanized series. Um, it was very popular in America, and they decided to kind of... I know it was very Japanese in its design, but it's still toned way back, and you can tell that American Western design had a lot of influence in it, whereas most Sega games did not. If you can't figure it out, if you can't figure out the extreme difficulty of the Japanese RPG, then you're probably not going to make it very far in a Sega RPG. Too bad. Yeah, Unforgiving, not telling you what to do. Don't right. Tell you, sometimes you don't even know what the abilities were until you used them a couple times. Like, what the hell right. did that do? What does that symbol mean? Yeah, authentic Japanese game Yeah, too bad. Figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Shin Megami Tensei 2 said every hallway looks the same, and if you don't like it, go buy the guide for $40. Like, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, that's exactly. how Star Ocean is. <laughs> yep, Star oh, Ocean yeah. also. Oh, I love Star Ocean. Another amazing 90s yeah. RPG, by the way. Yes. So, yeah, we have a lot of good ones. And since we're getting into, uh, yeah, with the RPGs and the difficulty, we're going to talk about difficulty in games a little bit later. Um, but now we've got, uh, 
in the 90s, we kind of have what you would, I would consider the uh, the first modern console war between uh, company marketing, mm-hmm. and that was the Nintendo-Sega rivalry, and that was also, I believe, the first mascot rivalry um, mm-hmm. we had with Mario and Sonic. Now you're pitting Mario and Sonic against each other, and you've got two uh, two gaming giants that are kind of, you know, fighting for, uh, fighting for your dollars. To yeah, be fair, yeah. today, mm-hmm. I'm going to say something. Like, today, like, you, you'll see people who really like Mario also really like Sonic. So it's yeah. It's, and thirty years has done a lot to gaming. But part of that is because Sega collapsed and had to become I was, a third yeah, party developer. I was oh, say. If that yeah, wasn't the case, Nintendo Nintendo fans would still be frothing at the mouth over Sonic. I, the head. Also, also, also we would never see Sonic and Smash if Sega had pulled yeah, yeah. I <laughs> I was gonna say well, another thing too. You gotta remember is. Um, as as we're in 2020, the taboo of of adults playing video games doesn't exist anymore. But when you were in right. the 90s, it was a kid thing. So Sonic versus yeah. Mario wasn't a conversation you would have over the phone with your uncle. It's a right. slap fight between you and the rich kid down the street. Yes, the exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, Mom goes to college, just like Donkey Kong. All right, whatever, kid. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, with it, now, I know I was, you know, I didn't get to experience the uh, the rivalry firsthand. And, uh, I mean, she and I are only 27, so we, yeah. we kind of, we, we missed um, that part of it. So, for those that ha- were living it, what was it like to see all of that, that rivalry going in? What was the culture like back then? It was so weird, honestly. Like, because I remember, you know, you're just excited about you got a mm-hmm. game, you want to talk about it, you're like, oh my god, have you guys played, you know, the new Sonic or whatever? The game's so cool. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you've got someone, yeah! And it was just like, and they're like, oh, you're stupid! And I'm like, wait, yeah. what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it's not limited to today on Twitter. We had this <laughs> no, it's exactly the same. It has not changed. <laughs> I think I touched on this a little bit during our last episode, but I just remember I walked into, I, didn't, I had no idea what a console war was. I wanted a Sega Genesis and a Super Nintendo. And so I walked into the arcade, and back then Nintendo released a lot of their games on arcade still, um, simply because the processing power was not there for the game designs that they had on home consoles. Um, So I walked in, and these two people probably, they were probably 17 years old at the time, um, were playing a game called Killer Instinct, which I'd never seen before. And they were playing it and talking about how amazing it was and how this processing and 3D graphics and, you know, it was pre-rendered 3D graphics. But regardless, it was CGI, two-dimensional characters. And uh, I was like, wow, this is really, they were so hyped about it. And I said, this is really cool. Is this going to come out on Sega? And they were so, I had never, that was my first moment of understanding of the console war and they were like sega could never do this this was designed for super nintendo and a sega genesis is incapable and i'm like but i play sonic i don't understand what's happening like sonic moves so fast yeah and they're like no sonic's dumb and what are you talking to me and it just that was my first experience with console wars and when i realized despite seeing it on commercials it was like kfc versus mcdonald's of course they hate each other they're both trying to get the money from your wallet and feed your stomach so that made sense but to see like nintendo nintendo and sega on commercials talking about like jabbing at each other that made Mm -hmm. sense because it was corporate warfare which will always and has always always existed but suddenly it was like camaro versus mustang there was this huge 
there was this huge division of people. If you like Fords, you can't like Chevy. And if you like Nintendo, you can't like Sega. So, and it was it was sudden and yeah. it was weird. If you don't mind me asking, like I said, I'm younger. I didn't really live through mm-hmm. it. Wasn't it really based on region? Like, I know the United States more had, like, more Nintendo, right? And then Europe had more Sega? Like, I don't... I don't know because I only have my experience here. Right. Yeah, Yeah. and I grew up, I only had the Sega because another thing that a lot of people don't realize is that gaming wasn't as easily accessible as it is no. today no so no, people no. have you know they've that. got their playstation 4 right. 5 they've got an mm-hmm. xbox they've got their switch back then you really only had one console yeah so you it's had, basically you whatever what your you parent bought you exactly yeah, i had a playstation and then your buddies hopefully one of your other Vegas, friends so that's all i had and then exactly the same market, thing for me the market was way different too so right now if i want to know how something costs i pull up google i go to the xbox playstation store switch store see how much it costs compare it to a retailer you couldn't do that i remember my right. dad telling me i was i was i was exa- I'm exactly as old as the 90s i was born in 1990 mm-hmm. so i thought it was 1994 and four, right um i just remember mario 2 coming out right we're waiting for mario uh yoshi's island to come out it's all I want for my birthday, and I hear the same story every time it comes up about, first of all, nobody can get a hard street date, right? You right. just show up to the store one day, you go to Toys R Us, oh, Mario 2 is finally on the shelf. The guy at Toys R Us doesn't know he's stocking a shelf. Right. There's no information, there's no newsletter from Nintendo, there's no report, none of that stuff's ready yet. Right. More importantly, there was no standardized pricing, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things Not people true. either do or don't remember is that the original gauntlet on Nintendo, right? Again, not to backtrack too much, but the original Gauntlet of Nintendo came in like a weird cartridge. Mm-hmm. And you probably had no idea why. It's because they didn't want to pay Nintendo's licensing fee, so they just made their own cartridge thinking they'd get away with it. Nintendo sued them. Of course. Um, so Nintendo was strict about stuff and was. pretty much. Yeah, was. <laughs> was. <laughs> Nintendo was mean, mm-hmm. right? So they weren't allowed to tell people stuff. You weren't allowed to share information mm-hmm. about Nintendo games because you had the Nintendo license that you had to pay thousands of dollars to be a, right. the right to make a Nintendo game. And then you could set your own pricing, but there was no thing for it, right? This guy right. says he needs at least $40 a copy to make back his thing. But mm-hmm. Nintendo charged $70 yeah. in the 90s for Super Mario yeah. World. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember. Yeah, they, no, no, no. There was no standardized pricing. A oh. Super Nintendo game could be thirty if they if the developer wanted. Yeah, like, when Donkey Nintendo Kong Country came out, $70. it was like eighty bucks. It yeah. was like seventy eight ninety six. Yeah. yeah, it was always like the nine. It wasn't until the eight or nine six or something. That Nintendo said there had to be standardized pricing forty nine ninety nine for all but, titles. But they let they let Mar or I'm sorry they let the N sixty four run rampant with crazy pricing for probably a year, year and a half, and PlayStation was smashing them, so they had to reel it back because PlayStation games were, I want to say $59.99 no matter what, for the most part. Yeah, and they were pretty, Nintendo like, game prices already. were all over the place. I remember yeah. going in and Mario 64 was $64 and like 67 cents, and next <laughs> to it was, um, you know, another 64 game that was $74.83. It was just completely random prices on these games. So you would the, get an ad. Like. Also, yeah. I would like to say too, like this is before the time of the DLC. Which yes. That, oh, yeah. That, I, I'm pretty sure like it, like the pricing was, you guys were getting full games. You weren't getting like, oh, a $50 game on top of right. like 
ten dollars here and there and all yeah, that. You I know what yeah. you got. You didn't get patches. You didn't get the idea of expansion like came later. Um, not yeah. much later. It did happen in the nineties, but I think it, it was more... like. PC on expansion. Yeah, for yeah sure. I was gonna say PC but, for but sure. Games like Majora's Mask were very much considered an expansion pack to Ocarina of Time. Even though it was its own story and its own game, it still used the same game engine. It was still developed off the piggyback of Ocarina of Time. And I remember when Majora's Mask was being advertised, it was very much being advertised not as the next Zelda game, but as a continuation or a an expansion of uh, Ocarina of Time. So they started to, to dabble in expansions, but of course DLC could not exist because there was no such thing as downloadable content. Um, Unless you were so you basically just bought another game. Man, can you imagine and like picking up to AOL and having your download will be ready in sixty four years. <laughs> it's still downloading. Some say they're still downloading it. If you want to talk about DLC in the nineties, can we just talk about how funny it is that uh, Nintendo tried to push out a radio version of the original Zelda and decided to call it Zelda BS? What how great is the irony of that? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. At least they knew. <laughs> so, did they in. sue themselves for that for for not putting it on nintendo yes what i mean radio is it was it was a satellite super nintendo cartridge that got yeah. updates oh for sure do you but guys I mean, remember like... uh sega channel are no? you old enough for that okay I so back in the day you got a little box and you you paid like 33 bucks a month for it and you plugged it in to the screw in coaxial cable screwed into this box which plugged into your sega genesis and then you had basically xbox game pass in the 90s and i'm talking like early 90s 94 95 i was in my friend's basement playing games streaming them via a cable like not a cable internet connection but a coaxial cable yeah so the game pass the game pass uh was really sega's idea first that's, that's yeah. crazy. And that was as close as we got to DLC and streaming in the 90s. And and very, very few people had anything like that. That sounds like very really pricey. That was like rich people shit. No, it was unbelievably like, cheap. It was 33 really? bucks a month and Sega just shared the thing with you, but it never took off because think, I mean, think about it. It's It was something hmm. that was like, I'm going to connect my TV over the so, waves and things are going to be was it, like... Was it, it ran off the internet, right? No, it ran off your cable. Like your actual oh, television okay. cable. Which so, technically was internet, right? It's well, basically it, it, the it's internet. Still, it's still a twisted copper. It's still a twisted yeah. copper data stream. I actually work telco. Right. It is data um, stream, yeah. But uh, so essentially in a nutshell, before we're used to it, the, back in the 90s, cable, internet, and telephone were all separate. You couldn't get them all from one yes. company yet. Correct. But... Um, yeah, a, a data stream, that cable can be used for anything as long as they talk yeah. to the right people and get the, the right data channels for it. So mm -hmm. Sega could have did it, but $33 a month in the 90s for yeah. anything video game is way too much to ask. Of course, yeah. And it never took off. And that that is, I, I guess I'm looking at it objectively from nowadays, 33 bucks a month. I wouldn't pay that for a streaming service, I guess, for video games Even because Game Pass, Game Pass is like $100. $100. I was going to say my parents definitely wouldn't have. Yeah, my <laughs> no, parents my didn't. Either. I only knew one person who had it. Uh, well, my entire I, life so 
I'm gonna fight I... Pokemon Silver. Where the hell is your parents getting yeah. dollars a month? Yeah. <laughs> I know, like, I'm from kind of a smaller area, and, like, I personally didn't hear of Sega Channel until much, much later, so that wasn't even an option, I don't think. Well, and advertising like back then for video games then. was hard. Oh, yeah, it was because our. Oh, yeah, for sure. Our parents didn't care about, like, the advertising, so if they didn't relay it to us, we never saw it. We never saw advertisements or anything for that kind of thing. I mean, there were some commercials. I was like, right? I didn't even know yeah, that was a course. thing, and yeah. I was yeah. all about the Sega. But if you're a video game company in the 90s, right, how much money do you actually have to spend? Very little. Very little. Right, because Nintendo might have had that money, but, you know, Capcom doesn't, not for an American game. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, all right, we're going to... We're gonna transition here. We'll be able to talk more in details about this stuff in our uh, in our second part, which will dive specifically into the early '90s. So we're gonna we're gonna keep it moving here to uh, handheld gaming, actually. So this is crazy. So um, handheld the the Game Boy was the first handheld that came out, and that came out uh, in '89. I know that's just right on the cusp of the '90s, not quite '90s, mm -hmm. but it carried over into it. And different versions of the original Game Boy came out mm -hmm. in the uh, uh, in the early '90s, and the Game Boy was was a big deal because now instead of being stuck to your TV. You can take this anywhere. It can go to the yeah. car, or it can go to the bathroom. You can play a game for while you're taking a dump. For four hours Great. while the batteries lasted. Yeah. And it had to be in yeah. sunlight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, before before they gave us the little light thing that came with it, we're sitting there in yeah. the back of the car hoping a street light comes by so yep. we can play for Definitely. five seconds. Dude, the struggle it. was real back then because if you didn't play it during the day, you were pretty much screwed. Yep. Right. Um, and there so, was no hiding under the blankets to play it. The flashlight. Yeah. <laughs> and God forbid well, if you wanted to play it in the car that... with the light on. Right. Yeah. Your parents exactly. weren't yeah, yeah, you, oh, My parents, every time, I was like, can I play with the light? And absolutely not. I can't see the road, damn it. Oh, okay. I <laughs> yeah. I was oh, told well, I guess I won't play my game. Yeah, I guess Bye. I can't play Pokemon. Yeah, everybody was that. told we'd get pulled over, and I just found out like three weeks ago that that was a lie this whole time. That's yeah, so funny. Yeah. I just found that out too, like a couple months ago, and I was like, "Ridiculous!" What? I've been telling my daughter it's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> or my daughter that it's illegal, and now I'm sitting yeah. here like, "What?" Uh... <laughs> so, um, with it being so, with yeah, the handheld game. Now, the Game Boy, I believe, it was. It was packed with Tetris, right? Like Tetris came with it. Like we. Yeah, I think it. so. That's okay. Yeah, I was gonna say Nintendo's early marketing strategy knew that if they tried to sell a console without a game, it wasn't gonna work. Right. Wow, that's so. the complete opposite of what they do now. That's smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. You would well, like well, the game, please. The technology. We understand now that the technology is worth the money that we're putting into it, and that the games will come. Whereas back then. They were really only investing in what you were putting in front of them right away. It was video gaming was not an investment for our parents. It was like a very, very expensive toy. That's what yeah. I was gonna say. It's just an expensive toy to get us out of yeah. their hair. <laughs> yes. I, my mom so... still tells me to this day that if I wanted, like, I remember too, because I, you would have the Christmas spread. I grew up with two other siblings right around the same age, three years apart between the three of us. The Christmas spread. Because you got my sister with all of her clothes and the dolls and this, and my brother with the action figures, and then I have two little boxes under the tree because I yep, wanted seventy dollars video games. Yep, me too. And that's all I was getting because that shit's expensive. Yep. Yep. So, I was gonna say that's all we really got was because we were my family was a gamer family, so it was like, oh, Christmas, you just get the new, the new thing. That's all you get. <laughs> yeah. My parents always felt bad because I I was the same. I had like two or three boxes because I just wanted video games. That's all I cared about. And so my parents would always like try to put 
really small stocking stuffers and stuff under to make it look like I had more Guess stuff under the tree. I'm like, I don't care. As long as I got Tomb Raider, whatever. I don't care about anything else. Now, when it comes to the well, revolutionary, for those that were around for it, how how big of a deal was it to have a, be able to take a game almost anywhere you go where there was light? Like, how big of a deal was it when? Like, oh, it was so cool! Like it, it definitely. Oh, I don't even know. Like it was just cool. Like it blew my mind that all of a sudden you could just play anytime, anywhere, as long as you had it, you know, your charger batteries yeah. on hand. Yeah. It definitely blew my mind. Um, I, unfortunately, my parents were, we were very poor. And the only reason that I got a Nintendo is because my grandfather bought it for us. Um, my cousins got a uh, Game Boy and they brought it over during Christmas. And I remember playing it for seriously like two straight hours. And I, they had Super Mario. Oh, what was it called on there? Mario Land. Mario Land. Thank you. Uh, they had Mario Land and I killed the batteries and they had like a whole pack of uh batteries in their pocket all the time <laughs> to to play it with and i just remember i never even to this day i was never sold on handheld gaming and that's simply because it's it's temporary and and i yeah it's give and take the handheld gaming is great but i can't get immersed in it and that's what i love about gaming so while I love the idea that you can take it somewhere, I net I'll buy almost every handheld and then never take it anywhere. The Switch is different though. The Switch is a console you can do both on though. So um, mine has been undocked for a total the, of five the seconds. The big thing, That's the big fair. thing I can think about for when I think of like the Game Boy and what kind of impact it had, right? So I lived in a house with three children, my mom and three aunts and uncles, and my grandmother at one point, all in one house, right? Mm -hmm. Got one TV. How yeah. is a five-year-old, four-year-old kid going to argue with everybody in the house that I need the yeah. only television because I want to play video games? Right. Game Boy. Sure. It, <laughs> it definitely was good for parents, I'm sure, because yeah. they if could just I, take us out of the living room or whatever, and we just go hang out in our room and just play If I could have, yeah, totally. Anyways. And the difference was, is in, you know, most, like, you know, today it's TVs are more affordable. Everybody's got a TV in almost every room of the yeah. house. Yeah. Whereas in the 90s, even I grew up, even those of us who were a little bit younger, it was like, my parents, you had one TV, you know, yeah. in the house. And it was a treat when we got older, where well, my parents had more money, they were able to put one, like, in an extra bedroom as, like, a game room for my brother and I. So they could have the living room TV, and my brother and I could just go in the back room and fight over the, uh, the extra TV. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey guys, um, let's. I think we should move it along a little bit. Uh, okay. We're at thirty-eight. Right. So let's go. All right, let's go. Um, well, for time management, we'll go ahead and we're gonna combine this next section. So we have games were hard and gaming rumors. So quickly, we touched a little bit on, but yeah, games were notoriously difficult. Um, compared to mm -hmm. today, one you had no direction, and two Disney decided to make games that were damn near impossible. <laughs> yeah. Um, you couldn't save either. Yeah. yeah. No. We, in in addition. Go ahead. Oh, I was just, I was agreeing. Yeah, and in addition to um, not having any direction, you had to go to the rumor mill at school or your local friend group and be like, hey, have you gotten past this part? Or do you know what to do here? Or I keep dying? Or, My you know, there was yeah. really no way to figure it out. backlog hell, right? Google wasn't <laughs> right. even alive yet. Right. And my parents blocked 900 numbers, so there was no calling anybody for help. <laughs> I just, I, no, I gotta say that. How many, I feel like a majority of people that have accumulated backlogs, they probably started in the 90s and it started with a lot of those older games because you were getting yeah. your ass kicked as a kid and you're like, God, yeah. I don't think my ass kicked yeah. as an adult. Are 
Are you kidding me? Like I'm playing yeah, a lot exactly. of '90s games oh, this year, and I'm like, what the heck? No, '90s oh, yeah. games are hard. I will pick one up now and be like, how did I do this? Well, I was like 10, and I got through this, and now I can't figure it out. And or I'm 70. I'll go back from like a game from the '90s, like when I was 18. Okay, so I played Spyro as a kid. I know we're talking about early '90s, but like Spyro. Yeah. So mm -hmm. It was a very difficult platformer for me, but like as yeah. an adult, I went back and I played. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> like, yeah, right. No, it's, right. It's, That's so funny because I used to be amazing at the Disney ones, especially Lion King. Like, yeah. um, my yeah. daycare Lion King too. when <laughs> <laughs> my daycare um had a Nintendo for us to play with, and um we only got like I think it was like 15 minutes each because you know there's so many yeah. kids. And all stuff. So we got like a 15 minute time limit and um, I was really good at it and I actually had um, kids that would be like, Kayla, I need you to beat this level for me, like the scar level, I can't pass yeah. it, you know. So yeah. I was always, and like my teachers would always get so mad because they were like, weren't you just on this? And I'm like, hey, I'm using, they want, they want me on it. Yeah. But if I played that stuff again, like, oh, well, actually, I did. I played uh, it on the PC not that long ago, and I couldn't even pass the first level. No, it's so <laughs> difficult. So like, let, me, uh, let, me, let me ask a question to Kayla real quick. What was it like being a badass and then losing that ability as an adult? <laughs> Devastating. Like, I don't even, I used to be so amazing, and now I'm over here crying because I can hardly be freaking my daughter on video games anymore <laughs> let's just okay. be fair in that all all of us are there the we new are. generation I mean, is always better me. my daughter yeah. Yeah. a few years from already it's, it's yeah I, I know it yeah katie's uh, got three kids over here so she's yeah, katie, probably are they wiping the floor with you yet oh i am still much much better than them and my husband oh. the but, issue right. is that you're raising them though <laughs> so you're true. teaching them everything you know Right, so I'm I'm gonna enjoy this while it lasts. Yeah, because it won't last very long. Yeah, but it's it's very similar to being like being in like the enrichment program, where it's like you have all of this potential as as a kid, and then when you w grow up to be an adult, it's like, oh, I, I'm nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just an adult. Crap. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't something supposed to happen here? But, like, like I was saying earlier, Chrono Trigger, like, some of these RPGs that, I, like, we love so much from the early 90s, like Earthbound and Chrono Trigger, and even some of the, like, Final Fantasy 1 I struggled with. Star Ocean. I, like... Here's the ultimate 90s struggle. Huh. Put a game down for one month and go back and figure out what you were doing. Oh, oh my gosh. That's me right now. I'm playing. I'm doing the Star Ocean um, remake on the PS4. Yeah. And I'm so frustrated. I can't believe how hard it is. And oh, I remember so playing it younger and having trouble. But I swear I'm having more trouble now. Like, like I can't figure. And I did. I put it down and I went back to it the other day. And I said f this. And I started playing Tomb Raider. <laughs> and I know we haven't been to yeah. it yet. Yeah. But the Tales of and not series. OG Tomb Raider, guys. She wasn't playing 90s Tomb Raider. She's playing 2013. No, no I was playing the new, the, the latest one. one. The Painted but, Ledges. On top of that, right, think about, like, right right now, if I really want to, right? You got a buddy, he beats a game, he lends it to it, he lends it to it. Cool. Play it for a little bit, right? Imagine, like, me, six or seven years old, whatever it is, and I want to rent Super Mario RPG from oh, Blockbuster. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, every time I want to rent it, I have to start it again. Yep. Oh, or, yeah. That's the worst. You Absolutely. hope beyond hope that somebody has not saved over. Erased your file yes. from two weeks yes. ago. Or worse, like a, I was thinking, right? You're playing something like Chrono Trigger, right? An RPG. For the most part, if you look around, you can find what to do. But sometimes, no matter what you do, no matter how good you are at these, you just don't get the hint of where you're supposed to go, right? right. I can't go to Google. <laughs> I hope somebody down the street's also playing Chrono Trigger. Yeah. Like, you guys remember Game Shark? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes. Game Genie and Game Shark. Oh, I was like, game... I never used them, but I was always jealous of the people that had, like, the codes and I, all that stuff. I did yeah. in the early 2000s. I didn't in the 90s, so... <laughs> I will show you my Game Shark CD. I still have it. Oh, that's pretty good. That's awesome. Yeah. And the memory card. The memory card you had to I remember in. my cousins. Yeah, it's like my cousins had the memory card one. And I was so mm. jealous because I was always like, how did you do this? How do you get yeah. this? Like, how did you yep. do this? Like, I really thought they were just amazing. And they're over here yeah. like, oh, I entered this code. <laughs> I remember when Sonic 2 came out and I went to the store because I was obviously going to rent it. Um, and there was somebody playing Sonic 1 and they were at Starlight Zone, which is like level or world 5, and she had 25 lives. And I looked and I looked at her and I said, are you using a Game Genie? And she said, no, I've, I did this all by myself. And I just remember thinking, that's impossible. And now I go back and play Sonic and I'm, I have like 80 lives by level 4. And I'm like, I don't know, it's just it was hard to discern whether people were doing things yeah. without the game genie and the game shark back then <laughs> yeah yeah all right yeah exactly so but yeah to keep on for the sake of time here so we're gonna conclude our final uh early's 90 overview so we're talking about gaming rumors now gaming rumors obviously were very different from what we see today we didn't have the internet mm -hmm. twitter social media or anything like that like today you hear rumors left and right some some uh somebody on 4chan reddit or whatever is constantly yeah telling you something or there are actual insiders that have leaks the leaks yes yeah, some type of leaks some which are true some which are not but they they create these conversations around and build up mm -hmm. you know different types of hype and have everybody uh either really happy or uh really disappointed um in multiple ways and but yeah. in the 90s you didn't have that you you didn't have no. the ability to do that so what was that like for those of you that were doing that what, what was it like to try to figure out gaming rumors or hear about new games what, what was the world like like that a lot of it was um, magazines go ahead yeah, yeah, a lot so of magazines. I assumed that's what it was. Was like I know Game Informer. I had a Game Informer in like mm -hmm. two thousand and one, but I don't know how old Game Informer is. I don't know how old. Um, is. it came after game, things like Electronic Gaming Monthly and Game Pro. Okay, like and it wasn't and Nintendo, Nintendo Power, Power around though. Yeah, it was Nintendo Power's Power, yeah. around since the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Think um, I will say that rumors in games were a lot more fun back then. Simply because there was something magical about going to school after a weekend of playing, let's say, Mario World. And you go to school and everybody's talking about something you didn't even find or know about in the first world. And so you get all this hype to get off of school and go straight home and try to do that, that uh, thing that people are just talking about. You had no way to verify it was real unless you saw it with your own eyes or did it yourself. And everybody was just constantly talking about all these secrets that developers put in there. And a lot of more silly, like, pushing, you know, adult limits and things like that. But there was a lot. This internet. One second. Centered yeah, more one around the, what you could do in the game. And it was really was cool. It was different. The, you could bring Aerith back. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And oh my God, Final really? Fantasy VII. That's hilarious. Yeah, it was a huge rumor. And I huge. remember... Oh yeah! Like I went out of my way. I tried so many things because like, I was like, like something... "Well, if you can." And then I even bought the guide, the gaming guide, because I was like, "It's got to say it," and it yeah. didn't say that anything. That sounds like a prank that Cthulhu would do on me. Like, no, like, no, like, no, like, no, like oh, by the way, older than my 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 assholeness. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, that's a that was a big that was my first gaming rumor I had ever like another... really dealt with. There was, was another Final Fantasy VII rumor that there was an, a card that you could get that had infinite gill on it. Which, oh, playing yeah. the game now, I'm like, why did I even want that? Because you don't even really need <laughs> gill in that game at all. Um, but I really, really wanted it, and it was hiding behind the ticking clock in Calm in the hotel where you talk about Sephiroth, where you learn that story. Um, and I spent, I can't tell you how many hours, walking and just back and forth around that stupid clock pressing x every single playthrough i tried it for years because somebody said there's an infinite gill thing behind the clock and yeah we're talking 97 by this point so there's even internet but even the internet had no verification I feel, so if yeah, i saw it on the internet i mean it must be real I yeah i remember in the early 2000s like uh i don't know if you guys like had those book fairs when you guys were younger and mm-hmm. yeah school, like the book oh, yeah. there was one uh where they had a cheap book for video games like spyro and like all these pla- places oh. so i picked it up and like yeah no yeah they have a uh, game code books oh, i have got wow. something like code breaker and stuff oh, like yeah. that yeah one of uh, like, one of my favorite rumors back uh, was then the Pokemon rumor. They said you without instead of going to like a Toys R Us to go get Mew or whatever it was, he was under like a truck. truck. The yeah, truck. The truck. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, for a million. Oh, yeah, that's probably a million truck. You could spend five hours trying to see like where is he? He's under the truck. I swear to God, he's here. No. Yeah. Oh, and it came to if I now that I think about it, now that you mentioned that '90s rumors, nothing was bigger than kids and the po- kids and Pokemon. Because down the, sh- I everybody, I feel like everybody had one, but right on my block, I had the kid who's quote unquote my uncle works for Nintendo. Um, <laughs> everybody got one. So, but yeah, there was Mew in the truck. There was there was Pika Blue. Right, mm-hmm. uh, where they had gotten early pictures of Meryl from Pokemon Silver, and apparently he was in Pokemon Blue somewhere, and you had to like go back and find a secret item and give it to Bill, mm-hmm. and then Bill would fight you with his Pika Blue, and you could catch it, even though that's against the rules. Yeah, like there was so much stuff. Like Pokemon. And we believed these okay, rumors. I've got the ultimate rumor, <laughs> one that okay, exploded bigger than any rumor in the '90s for games: okay. Nudrator. No, Nude Raider. I forgot about Everybody Nude insisted oh, that Core no. Design stuck a code in there that allowed you I to run around. Remember. Like, anybody wanted to run around with this square ass and triangle titties, but everybody <laughs> tried it. Everybody was like, you know, I'm going to try it anyway. Like, just because it was that, a thing. Not even if yeah. you don't want to see anybody naked. You're like, I just want to see if this works. I need to see if this happens. Yeah. And then I remember when PC Mods came out, and there was a Nude Raider patch, but the idea that you can make Lara Croft naked is so absolutely nonsensical to think of now. And people still looking do back. mods like that today, though, too. Yeah, mods for sure, because it's just user-created. But to right. think that a developer would be like, yeah, you can remove the clothes <laughs> on Lara Croft. Like, how stupid. <laughs> and it seriously was a huge rumor. Because I, I, I want to be on CNN and have my company run into the ground in the middle yeah. of the night. <laughs> right, yeah. when, you know, we can't put real-looking blood... In yeah, exactly. Oh my God, we can make, make it purple. 
Katie, what was did you have? What was your uh, favorite rumor back in the nineties? Uh, see, let me see. Um, I feel like there was a rumor that had to do with like the the Chocobo racing in Final Fantasy Seven. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know what it was. <laughs> there were uh, so many rumors surrounding Final Fantasy like, Seven. Yeah, Final Fantasy Seven had an insane amount. It's of because. Even though Final Fantasy VI and other RPGs came before it, it was the first one where you could kind of explore, like, the first mainstream one, I should say, where you could kind of explore a giant 3D world, and there were, felt like back then, so many things to do that the game would never end. It felt like Skyrim, you know, back then. It felt like there was 10,000 tasks, and so there was a chance even the tiniest one, that there was tasks that you missed or characters you never spoke with. So it was believable enough for anyone to pretty much make anything up because the game seemed so vast. I th I'm thinking like with the Chocobo one, it was like you there was some way that you could get like basically an invincible one that would always win. Yeah, and just smash through the other Chocobos or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It was like purple or something too. Like mm -hmm. It was just like anything like even if it makes no sense in the game mechanics, it was a rumor. Yeah. I so going way back... I do have yeah, one go ahead. more isolated insulin, because I just thought of this, and I, I forgot what reminded me of this. It was, the, it was the dumbest thing in hindsight. Stuff. One of the things in the book that said if you call the phone number, they'll give you challenge times for time attack. So we had called it, we got the numbers, and one of the kids knew for certain stuff that if you beat all the challenge times, you as a seven-year-old kid get to go work for Nintendo, and we all <laughs> believed it. Of course we did. Yeah, and we were like, dude, we're, I'm beating these challenge times. And then we we're coming up like, dude, you have to hit the wall just right. And you're going to jump over and Bowser grows wings yeah. and flies across the stage. Now it's yeah. crazy. I'm going to go work for Nintendo tomorrow. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I now, I will say that. regarding rumors, I remember, and this is reaching back further to like 1990, so I'm going really early. Um, when everybody started playing the original Super Mario Brothers, there was so many rumors about what you could and could not do in that game. And yes. what was different about Mario Brothers is that almost every single rumor that you heard was true. So you could jump up over the world and run across to the other side, and then there was a secret pipe that you could choose any oh, world or yeah, seven, eight, nine. And I so when I, when I discovered that that was real... That was really the first moment when I was like, oh my god, the community is going to teach us, like, in games. You'll go to school or whatever. You'll talk to a buddy down the street every day and learn something you didn't know you could do, which that, for Mario felt huge because see, you I felt like you could do anything. Too. So that was one of my favorite things that my parents taught me is my parents because they, you know, they, they grew up, you know, they were teenagers in the 80s. And yeah. my dad bought my yeah. mom an NES, but... When I my parents got me when they got me a Game Boy Color, I know that's late '90s, but I got the Super Mario Bros. Deluxe game on it. So you know, mm -hmm. it was just the original game with some extra challenges and crap, and a calendar, by the way, that goes to the year 3000. Shit, you Great. know, really does. <laughs> um. Anyway, so my dad, I remember, I was going through, and he's like, "Hey, watch this," and he would like dive up the levels and have all these warp pipes. He's like, "Yeah, you can get to World Eight like through all this." So he showed me all the tricks to get to World Eight. And I remember as like a six year old, I was like, "Wait, what? Oh my god, I can skip almost the entire game." It just get to the end, yeah. and then I didn't know yep. how to run, and then I kept dying in World Day because I didn't yeah. rent. But 
One little fun fact too. I just uh, I don't I don't know why this never comes up, but I feel like uh, not everybody realized it too. So Game Boy Color was was uh, was always looked at as a different system, but it's really just a premium version of the regular Game Boy. And the yeah, reason that sure I mentioned that is because Pokemon Silver, Pokemon Deluxe, and Pokemon Gold do work in black and white on an original Game Boy. And we we're gonna talk about that in our next yeah. part a little bit. Uh, speaking yep. of, uh, we have ran out of time for part one. I hope you guys are enjoying it so far. Um, Absolutely. I hope you guys continue so. and listen to episode 3B. All right. All right. I'm going to end here.